Thank you very much, Knudsen. Appreciate that. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Psalm 49. Boy, it's a good thing I am preaching from a psalm this morning after all those hints that I ought to be preaching from a psalm, but it is no surprise. Uh, let me just take a moment before we look at the psalm, psalms here, and just ask if you are a guest maybe visiting from out of town. I know I've met a few here this morning, whether it's your first time or uh, perhaps maybe your first time um, here and you haven't received a, a welcome gift from us before, whether you're in the lobby or in another room or in the auditorium this morning, we're not going to call you out and embarrass you other than just to simply recognize that you're here so we can get you that gift this morning by raising your hand. So if you've come here, welcome this morning. Thank you for coming. And I know we have some maybe folks for Christmas and appreciate that very much. So uh, inside that bag, you'll find a few things, but probably the most important thing is uh, just a simple Bible study of what we uh, uh, have learned here as a church together, that it is through Jesus Christ and Him alone that we know to have eternal life. And so we would just ask you to consider that this morning, and, and uh, I know that's maybe a heavier gift, but it's certainly a gift worth receiving. And uh, there's also a uh, card in there, and we'd love to know your visit and have record of that. And if there's any prayer requests that you might have uh, to take that card and on the back, go ahead and write those down. And uh, Monday mornings as we gather together, we love to pray for those things and get to know you a little bit. Whether you're near or far, we would uh, enjoy doing that for you. And so thank you so much for coming. If there's anything that we can do to help you, uh, besides put away all of your Christmas decorations. We've got plenty of that to do ourselves, I suppose. If you really needed help, we would help you. And, uh, and uh, we would love to do that. Uh, why don't we uh, look to the Lord in some prayer this morning, and then we will look to the Word. Okay? Father, this morning we are very thankful, whether those who are live streaming or here with us for the abundant provisions that you've given to us this year. We're thankful for the safety that we enjoy this morning and have enjoyed uh, every morning that you've given us life. We're thankful for uh, the physical blessings and health that you've given to us this year, especially in the year where so many are sick and scared to get sick, that you have comforted us, that you have even healed many of us in our, in our midst this morning. And we don't take our breath for granted. And we thank you. We thank you for all the blessings this year. And we look forward to a new year, a year that you will indeed bless us as you have promised to do. And we pray that we would be faithful, that we'd be faithful to glorify your name. Lord, as we look today at your word and as we uh, journey together uh, this coming year, help us to be faithful, not just in the receiving of the word and the hearing of it, but of the doing of it as well. And that you would continue to change our hearts 
And Father, if there is one here this morning or several that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, Father, I pray that today, before the clock strikes and the new year happens, that they would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I pray for all those who need encouragement today in your word, who need to be strengthened, who are weary, who are frightened, who are uncertain or insecure, Lord, that you would uh, minister to each one. And Lord, we, as Pastor Kent reminded us, look out at the beautiful snow and remember those great words of Isaiah chapter 5, that though we deserve to be red like crimson because of our sins, Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone has made us white as snow in your eyes. And we are thankful and we rejoice and we humbly come before your throne this morning through Jesus Christ and say, it is not us, it is not what we bring, but it is certainly of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we claim his righteousness today and we're thankful in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hopefully you've found your way over to Psalm 49. You know, this time of year reminds us that New things become old things. It's 2020. <laughs> Where did 2020 go? Does anybody know? If you could tell me, let me know afterwards. It's the longest and shortest year I think we've ever had. It's been an interesting year. It's not over yet, I know. Uh, a lot can happen between now and in a few days. But this is a reminder every time of year, isn't it? This time of year that, that what was once new... A decade in is now old, and we turn our sights and our glances to 2021. Christmas reminds us of that, for those of you who are parents, right? And children in the, in the room this morning, Christmas is a great reminder that, once, that what was once new is now becoming old. All those sparkling, glittering, new, exciting Presence underneath the Christmas tree. What happened to last year's presents? Do you remember? Is the electronic device on a shelf somewhere collecting dust? Is it already at Goodwill? Is it destined for mom's garage sale in the spring? Adults, you're just the same. Some of you have had the uh, amazing privilege of, of driving in a new car, whether it's yours or it's your friends that you get to drive in. And it's got that new car, what? Smell. See, you know. But throw a couple teenaged uniforms from sports practice and some socks or whatever it is girls do in the car, right? And that new smell doesn't last very long. No matter how hard you clean it, how hard you wax it, how many times you go to Zappy's $3 car wash, what was once new becomes old and dinged and needs a tune-up and an oil change and becomes a money pit. 
So we're reminded that what, what was once new becomes old. We delight in new things, and it's okay to delight in new things. Ultimately, we know that God is the giver of good gifts, and it is good to be able to drive not in, and, and not walk in 20-degree weather to church in the morning, isn't it? Amen. But it's easy to let things enamor us but when we look back at those enamoring things to realize, wow, they're really not that awesome. They're really not that cool. And our psalm today really uh, addresses us with that ready, readily apparent yet rarely apprehended truth that nothing we gain in this world, except our own soul, nothing that we gain in this world remains for the next and if there isn't a, a, a needed message this time of year, it's that. Nothing we gain in this world remains for the next. This is a wisdom psalm. And so it's unique in the Psalter in that it almost reads more like a proverb. And in fact, there's a proverb in a riddle in this psalm. And so because of time, we're not going to read the full psalm today. Hopefully we're going to be able to weave in and out of it, and, and, and you'll be able to follow along. But our psalm today addresses the fact that nothing we can gain in this world remains in the next. It asks the question, is it worth not putting my trust in wish, wish, riches? Is it worth not doing that? The psalmist is going to be, we're going to see, inundated with people who are inundated with things and riches. He asks the question, is, is it worth going a different path? You see, a, a wisdom psalm is a psalm that addresses an aspect of skillful living, that's wisdom, now. And the purpose of this psalm is to align the feet of men to the pathway of God. To align the feet of men to the pathway of God. And so is it really worth putting my trust in God. That's really what this psalm is going to wrestle with this morning. And it demonstrates by a proverb that a man's feet oftentimes are far from God's path. And this psalm is looking to correct that in our own thinking. However, we've gotten skewed. And certainly the world's thinking, realizing that what is out there will not deliver what is in here. And so it is worth not putting my trust in riches. It is worth putting my trust in God. And while the riches of men seem intimidatingly impressive, a humble, wise man must trust God to sustain his life forever. A humble, wise man must trust God to sustain his life forever. And so this is a wisdom psalm. And as such, it has aspects to it that are like a proverb, as I've mentioned before. And most proverbs have in and of themselves a universal appeal. And so that's what we're going to see first, is the universal appeal of wisdom. Look at verse 1. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world. There is no exception. And all of this leads to all men who are like beasts. Look at verse 12. 
But man in his pomp, that is all man in his pomp, in his pride, his baseless pride, maybe a pun there, will not endure. He is like the beast that perishes. And so right away we see that that is a reoccurring thought. Verse 20 says the same thing. Man in his what? Pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beast that perishes. And so we have really a scale set before us. And on the one side we have man and in his own effort and in his own skill, in his worthless pride, his baseless pride, his pomp. And as that's weighed on the scale, that is equated to a beast that perishes. There's nothing greater than that. Or we have the humble wise man that will trust in God to sustain his life forever. And so we have this universal appeal. There is no exceptions here, verse 1. All peoples, all inhabitants of the world. It doesn't matter who you are, what your last name is whether you're the president, whether you're in Congress, whether you're just Joe Schmo, verse 2, both low and high. It's interesting, right? Even some folks in Congress who are younger than me have recently uh, gotten kickback, uh, gotten uh, a flack from both political parties for receiving the vaccine, especially after they denounced the vaccine. And they're younger than I am. They're not in a high-risk group. I mean, I guess I would come first. Right? They're way younger than I am. And yet, because of their high office, they're first in line. But you know what? It doesn't matter whether you're first Second, 32nd, or the 11th millionth person to receive the vaccine, whether low or high. Verse 2 whether rich and poor together. Boy, that's interesting. Together. You know, you go around to different neighborhoods in different cities. And you get a sense, right? This is, the, this is the neighborhood to live in. This is it, right? Then you kind of get some neighborhoods where you lock your doors as you're driving through them, right? We've all been there. We've all done that. And you know what? I, I've got limited travels. There's probably some in this room who have traveled more extensively than I have. But I have been to China. I have been to Japan. I have been to France, Spain, Italy, Croatia, Panama. I've been to Panama, and that's a crazy place to, to go, which is awesome. We loved it. I've been to Belize, some stuff in the, that area. I've been to Canada. <laughs> yes. Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, right? You know what? No matter where you go, it is a universal truth. The rich tend to live with the, and the poor tend to live with the, Why? Because the rich can and the poor cannot. But this psalm says the rich and the poor, what? Together. It doesn't matter what you have, what you bring to the table, what office 
you are. My friends, there is no exception. The problem is generalized for everybody. You know, the problem with generalizing a problem is that we often kind of dismiss it, right? We often kind of dismiss it. And uh, we say, well, you know, this, this problem doesn't really apply to me, right? It's, it's, not, it's not really talking about me at all. But that's not really true. The psalmist also personalizes the problem. He doesn't just generalize it. He personalizes it. Look at verse 5. Why should I fear in the days of adversity? So there's, there's some stirring that's happening with the psalmist. He says the same thing in verse 16. Do not be afraid when a man becomes rich. And so what's the problem? The problem is, is that there are people that are amassing to themselves great riches and treasures. And the, and the psalmist trying to plant his feet on the path of wisdom really is not. Whether he's rich or poor, it's kind of inconsequential to his path and to his pathway. He's not focused on those things. And you know, along that pathway, sometimes you look to the right and you look to the left and you see all these things that people are amassing and all the power that people are possessing. And you start to wonder a little bit, is it really worth it? Is this small, narrow, sometimes lonely, often difficult way worth pursuing? And the psalmist, perhaps maybe even in personalizing it, is getting to the heart of his emotions, <laughs> trying to say, you know what, theoretically, by faith, I understand this is the pathway for me. But what I see in the here and now, and quite frankly, that's the opposite of faith, right? What I see in the here and now seems to be altogether different. There seems to be altogether a different mode of operation. In fact, look at verse 5. He says, why should I fear in days of adversity? That's today, my friends. That's what the psalmist is saying. What I see today, there is adversity. I see people who are rich getting richer, and it seems to be good for them. I see people who are in power getting more powerful, and it seems to work for them. How many of you have the vaccine? Don't raise your hand. But there are people much younger than you, but because they're a congressman or woman, have it. That's power in 2020, isn't it? And the psalmist says, is this pathway really worth that? Really worth giving up that kind of power and really worth not pursuing those kind of riches? And so he's wrestling with his own emotions, I believe, here. And we see that this universal problem, this generalized problem, has now become a personalized one for the psalmist. Yes, the wisdom, truth, it applies to all people, all inhabitants, both low and high. Yes, rich and poor together. But verse 5, why should I fear? 
Verse 16, do not be afraid. And so he certainly personalizes it. You know, in algebraic terms, really what the psalmist is trying to, to get at is man plus self equals failure. But as he's looking at it, it certainly doesn't seem to be adding up that way in the days of adversity, in the here and now. But there is a day to come, and that is the focus of the psalmist. That is the ultimate seat of wisdom. Not the here and now, but the time to come. You know, all men who do not trust in God must trust in themselves. And the psalmist's song is like a good old country song. Right? Both grandma and your girlfriend and your Chevy are gonna fail ya. I don't know why I have country songs in my mind. I really don't listen to country songs, except for, I don't know if this is a country song. My grandma got ran over by a reindeer. That's got to be a country song, right? I mean, nothing good happens in a country song. And poor grandma's always in the middle of it. But the psalmist is saying, you know what? That's really what's happening out there. They just don't know it yet. They just don't know it yet. And so he personalizes the problem. And what the psalmist sees is not ultimately what he will experience. But nonetheless, look at verse 5. When should I fear in the days of adversity? When the iniquity of my foes surrounds me. This is his present. This is the days of adversity. The iniquity of my foes surrounds me. I mean, that's, that's a pretty strong word if you think about it. He's being inundated with this problem. Even those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance. I mean, we're not just talking about, hey, that guy over there has $5. Wow. The abundance of their riches. So the psalmist, in what he sees right now, is overwhelming to him. It's intimidatingly so. And it really does cause him to think, okay, am I on the right path? Am I on the right path? And, you know, it's interesting. We we would tend to read verse 5, and we would say, okay, man, why... Why should I fear in the days of adversity? We're kind of gearing up, usually, right? For those of you who kind of know the Psalter a little bit, we're kind of gearing up for, you know, some violent men pursuing some, viol- uh, 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 some, some of God's people, right? Usually that's kind of how the psalmist goes, right? The psalms go, right? There's some sort of physical threat to life. And then you even start to read verse 5, when the iniquity of my foes surrounds me. That, that sounds like we really could be getting into some violent drama, like King David being chased time and time again. But that's not the case here. It's not the case at all. The trouble of the song is not the violence of men, but it is the veneer of success. You understand that? And in 2020, in the United States of America, 
We can certainly be pursued by violent men, but it's usually not because of our God, at least for now, thankfully. But my friends, what surrounds every single one of us is the veneer of success. You understand what veneer is? I'm weird. I use those terms, and I apologize. All right, so I, I'm not going to assume that everybody likes woodworking and, and stuff that, that I do, maybe, a little bit. I try. I like it until I break it, and then I don't like it for a while. But you know what veneer is? Veneer is basically a glorified sticker on top of wood, or in most cases, a cheaper particle board. And uh, in fact, we were, we were shopping for some laminate flooring for the girls' uh, bathroom. And, uh, you know, there's obviously no reason to put wood in a bathroom, especially in a girls' bathroom that's just going to have splashes and Barbie wet hair going all over the place and all that kind of stuff and get warped and, and stained. And, and so we were looking at some, you know, some decent, what is that called, you know, laminate flooring. And, and one of the big things that I was looking at is how thick the veneer is. Why? Because you can't sand a veneer, right? And, and if it gets stained to a certain point, it will show the cheap material underneath it. In fact, uh, we have some really cheap furniture in our house. Not all of it, I'm, that, but in the girls' room <laughs> in particular, right? And it literally is just like a little sticker over wood. And, and people try to sell this as furniture. It's amazing how that happens. I, I don't quite understand how they get away with it. And I thought, man, I'm never going to buy, you know, wood furniture that's veneer. Why would you do that? You can't sand it. You can't, it's just cheap. And I'm looking at my dining room table, which I thought was real. And guess what? I got a little dent in, dent in it. And I realized, it's not real. It was a really good sticker. It's just veneer. Veneer's deceptive. Veneer's shallow. Veneer is fake. And my friends, the psalmist is saying... The veneer of success everywhere that you see will not last. It won't. It won't. It just won't. And so this is a profound confession that as the psalmist is walking down this narrow path wondering, should I fear? Should I be afraid? Is it really worth trusting in my God? And as he looks at the veneer of success around him, he must remind himself that it will not last. There's only one thing that will. And that, my friends, is the pathway of wisdom, according to the psalm. And so it's a profound confession. And so the veneer of wealth and power is a deceptive and dangerous one. It is the unexpected adversity. And that's really our, our next point. We're kind of bridging halfway through our point. I hope I can do that. But we had seen the universal appeal. And now we turn to the unexpected adversity. And we have already identified the adversity the psalmist is singing about. It's wealth and power. It's not the violence of men. He's shown us that it is universal in verses 1 through 4. That it surrounds in verse 5, that it is abundant 
in verse 6. And wealth and power are the observable externals. My friends, they are really only the symptom. They are not the enemy. Okay, that, let's, let's, make, let's, let's get that out on the table right now. That it is not wealthy that is the problem. It's the person behind the wealth that is. You know, Paul makes a careful distinction to Timothy, doesn't he? He says that the love of money, not that money itself, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The real problem lies within the heart of man. So you could say it this way, money is not the problem, it's how a man spends it that is. Or it's, how, it's the heart of the man. So wealth and power are merely the externals, the symptoms. It's the problem of man's heart, and it's, des- uh, it's demonstrable in, in these ways. Look at verse 9 and 10. He says that he should live on eternally. So this is the, this is the, the, the riddle of the, of the wealthy and powerful man, that he should live on eternally, that he should uh, not undergo decay, for he sees that even wise men die, and the stupid and the senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. So all men see that all men die. And all wealthy men, when they die, leave their wealth to others. I mean, that's, that's kind of plain there, right? Verses 9 and 10, right? So there's some un- more universal truths that all men are dying. All men are perishing. And even those who are rich and wealthy and powerful, when they die, guess what? They don't take it with them. It just gets left to others. Yet the wealthy man still trusts and boasts in his riches. Look at verse 6. Even those who trust in their wealth and boast, though they see these universal truths, right? All men die. All wealthy men, when they die, leave their riches to somebody else. What do they still do? They trust in their wealth. They boast in the abundance of their riches. And there's the problem. It's not the wealth. It's their heart. It's their, according to verse 12, their pomp. According to verse 20, their pomp. Pomp, excuse me. Their baseless pride. Their self-confidence that is counterfeit, that will not last, that will not last. And so their heart has embraced their own wealth, and that's further evidenced in verse four, 11. Excuse me. Look at verse 11. Their inner thought is that their houses are forever. Now, you want to get really deep, and we're not going to get really deep this morning because I don't even know the answer to this, but, but essentially that there, 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 there's a possible textual variant. Most of your modern translations are going to say their inner thought is that their houses are forever. There's a few other, uh, there, there's a one-letter difference in the Hebrew, and it could be instead of house, it could be grave, and, and that could fit, and that could fit. But you know what? It really doesn't matter either way, all right? So if you research that later, just remember that it doesn't matter. Because listen, their inner thought is that their houses or their graves are forever, and their dwelling places to all generations. They have called their lands after their own names. In other words, though they know they're going to die, they think that that having some sort of legacy that lives on is going to matter, that names of buildings and lands are going to be somehow rewarding to them in the grave. And it's just not going to how it is. 
You know, it's kind of ironic that the, the, the health center that was built about a year ago is named after the funeral homeowners over on 615. You think about that. Have you ever, every time I drive past it, I just kind of think that's just weird. It's a great place. It's cool. I'm not knocking it. The name, maybe a little bit. I just can't get past it. It's just my weirdness. The point is, it doesn't matter how many names you have on the front of how many how many buildings you have with your name on the front of them. It doesn't matter when you're in the grave. That's the point that the psalmist is saying. But yet, men are still trusting in their wealth and in their power. And it is, to the psalmist, somewhat perplexing, intimidatingly so. Why should I fear? Do not be afraid. And so the problem of man's heart is found in that he continues to trust in his riches regardless of the outcome that he knows. And verse 12 sums it up. But man in his pomp will not endure. He is like the beast that perishes. That is the, the sum, summation of the, the problem with man's heart. He is so arrogantly proudful that he will not trust in God. And so he is like nothing. He is like the beast that will just perish that will just perish. Now, we have to make some qualifications there, and quite frankly, the psalmist does, which is helpful to us, because it's, it's, it's not that, the, that man is, I'm not teaching annihilationism this morning. Okay, or I'm not saying that, that man just doesn't cease to exist. But that essentially is as, in other words, if, if the psalmist, and I think he does, I keep on going back to this scale idea, this weight idea. If the psalmist has riches on one side, and then death is placed on the other, no matter how weighty the riches are on this side, when death is put on the other side, everything on the, the, the riches side crumbles and withers into dust and doesn't even exist anymore. That's the psalmist's point. That's the psalmist's point. And so it is veneer-like pride. That's pomp. Veneer-like pride. I've got into this veneer kick. But it is a great way to think of pomp. You know, there's, there's sometimes there's a reason to be proud, Right? I mean, when you see one of your nieces up here playing the violin or, or the cello or viola or whatever, I don't know, whatever they are, right, or singing or grandchildren are in the Christmas pageant, right? I mean, there is a real reason to be proud until you're my daughter and, and someone else nameless who is a lamb and they're just prancing around on stage over there knocking down Christmas trees while the rest of the Christmas pageant. And then you kind of sink down in your seat a little bit and say, she takes after her mother. (laughs) Right, but there are reasons to be proud. Right? I mean, you know, when God vindicated his name over all of Egypt and Pharaoh and Moses called out, let my people know, I mean, that is a reason to be proud. But, you know, there's, 
There's also seemingly substantial things, but do not endure the test of time. You remember those trophies that you got in elementary school? Some of them were just participation awards, but you loved them at the time. Right? Where are they now? Right? When your kids got trophies, kids, close your ears, where are they now? You know, some people get trophies still when they're adults that seem really cool, like Times Person of the Year. I'll probably not get Times Person of the Year this coming year. You probably won't either. And I'm not knocking the people that do. All right? But you know what? It's just going to fade away. That magazine cover will disintegrate. And in 10 years, no one will really care. You know, that people know your name or how many people know your name after you die, it just really doesn't matter. There are some things to be boastful about. But pomp is really this veneer of pride that just is not substantial. It doesn't last. There's really no good reason why you should be that way. And, and the psalmist is saying, you know, that is man apart from God, that he, is, he, is, he has a veneer of pride that will not endure, verse 12. He's like the beast, ultimately, that perishes. And so, because all the kids are out of school, let's do another algebraic formula, right? Man plus pomp, plus veneer-like pride is like the beast that perishes. That's what it equals. That's what it equals. It's inconsequential, non-substantial. And the problem is man's pride. It's not his wealth. It's his miscalculation of his ability. Look at verses 8 and 9. Right? Let's go back up to verse 7. No man can by any means redeem his brother. Right? So no matter how much wealth I have, no matter how much power is within me and that others grant to me and that I enjoy, no man by any means can redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him for the redemption of his soul is costly. There it is. There's the scale weight. All the stuff that you can put on the scales, all the material, all the power means absolutely nothing when it comes to the cost of a soul. And so that is man's ultimate pump that he thinks he can amass enough to care for his own soul. And he just can't. In a way, you would think that wealth is the answer to help with adversity. I mean, you know, we're trying to throw money at a coronavirus bill, right? So that we can help people. We, we tend to, as a society, think that wealth really is the answer. If we just blot out the poor and the hungry, uh, poverty, I should say, not blot out the poor, but blot out poverty so that no one is poor and hungry, All right? That will be peace and goodwill. But in fact, the real adversity is that wisdom is talking about is that man places his trust in his own riches. He ultimately becomes his own, he, he tries to become his own deliverer. And that is ultimately misplaced. And those riches will crumble at the weight of his own soul. We've seen the universal appeal and the unexpected adversity. And now wisdom ends with the ultimate answer. 
And so as we conclude, the ultimate answer, the purpose of the psalm is to align the feet, remember, of men to the pathway of God. And verse 13 describes all those who are on the wrong path. This is the way of those who are foolish and of those after them who approve their words. Right? So those who are trusting in themselves, this is their way. This is what it looks like. Look at verse 14. They are like sheep that are appointed for Sha'ol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. In their form shall be for Sha'ol to consume so that they have no habitation. But God will redeem my soul. Here's, here's everyone who trusts in the wisdom of God. Not in wealth and in power and in themselves, but in God's wisdom. God will redeem my soul from the power of soul. There's only one that can pay the price of man's soul. And the psalmist here says that is God. And as New Testament believers, we know that God sent his son and as Pastor Kent said this morning, that the whole reason why he was born is so that he could die to pay the cost necessary. Want to have pride in something? Have pride in that this morning, my friends. So that God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Okay, so we have a limited amount of time this morning, but we've, we've been confronted with this word Sheol a couple times. And some of you have a good understanding of what that is. Others, it's like, okay, what are we talking about? It's often equated, uh, equated with death. It's often equated with the grave. And it is in association with those things, but it quite isn't those things. And so take your Bibles very quickly and turn to Luke chapter 16. When we have some interesting things and we, we want to figure out our opinions about him, there's no better place to go than the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the New Testament, uh, Hades is essentially the, the equivalent, it is, is the, the New Testament jargon for Sheol of the Old Testament. Okay? And you can look that up and argue with me later on that if you don't believe so, but I, I think that's pretty clear, and, and uh, that's a well-received well truth. All right? And in verse 19 of Luke chapter 6, we see that Jesus is giving us a parable. He's giving us a story, but the story communicates literal truth. Okay, that's always critical in a parable. And there's this rich man, and then there's this Lazarus. It's not the same Lazarus, you know, that Jesus resurrected from the dead. It's not Mary and Martha's Lazarus. This is a different Lazarus. Now, there was a rich man, and he, verse 19, habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. Verse 20, and a poor man named Lazarus was laid at the gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. All right, so not a good situation for Lazarus, of course, a good, great situation situation for the rich man. Verse 22, now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. All right, so we've got this new term now, Abraham's bosom. All right, so he died, right, associated with death, but not necessarily death. And he went to a specific place called Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried, all right? So we have death, but it's more than death. We're going to find out that, that this rich man goes to the same place, but in a different location. Here we go, ready? Verse 23, in Hades, Sheol, he lifted up his eyes, that's the rich man, 
being in torment, and saw Abraham far away, right? And Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Right? So there's some communication, at least in this parable. And send Lazarus so that he may dip the tongue, tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue. All right? So we understand that the rich man is in what we colloquially call hell. That's where he's at. And yet there's a, there's a compartment, and we'll see here verse, okay, let's just look at it. Verse 26 all right, well, let's just read. All right, verse 25. And, be, and but Abraham said, A child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and like Lazar, likewise Lazarus, bad things, but now he's being comforted. That's key. He's comforted. He's not in the same state as this rich man, all right, in this other place, but yet the same place. Okay? And you are in agony. And here, here here's kind of our our clarifying moment, verse 26. And besides all this, between us and you, this is Abraham, there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. So there's, there's, there are, there's two places in Hades or in Sheol. He said, then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. And it's, it's, uh, you can read the, the, the account from there. You know it. But basically, all right, you have the rich man who is in torment in Hades. And then you have, essentially, uh, Lazarus, who trusted in Christ, who is comforted in Abraham's bosom. All right, well, and so what's the point? Well, the point is this. Go back to Psalm 49. We had to go there because this is helpful for us to understand that we're not merely talking about the grave. We're not merely talking about death. We're really ultimately talking about two paths with two destinations. And while there's this umbrella term called Sheol, that the paths literally lead to two very different places. Okay? And so for the one, for those who trust in themselves, who are pumped in their own pride, in their veneer-like pride, as sheep they are appointed for Sheol. It's not a good thing. There's no way to escape. They are being shepherded in by, look, verse 14, by what? By death. There is no escape. They are blindly being led to this place of torment. And the upright shall rule over them in the morning. And their form, those are those who are on their way to Sheol in hell, shall be consumed. They will have no habitation. They will be restless, just like that rich man in the parable who said, Give me some water! You understand? That's why we had to turn to Luke chapter 16. That's right, Olivia. That's my, she knows my name. Right? Or my voice. Right. But what's also true? Verse 15, But God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol. In fact, the New Testament, I believe, makes clear that all those who were in Abraham's bosom are now, during the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I believe that's Matthew 27-ish, 
You could turn there in your own time and read that. Verse 50 somewhere, 52 maybe. That all those who were in Sheol that are uh, born again, that are saved, are, were resurrected at the time of Jesus Christ's crucifixion. We have that account in Matthew 27. And so all those who are now just in Sheol are, are these who, who are like sheep with death as their shepherd. And we understand in uh, Revelation chapter 20, okay, so there's another cross-reference for you to look at at a, at a different time, that all those who are in hell, who are in Sheol, will be resurrected at that last resurrection, and they will be standing before Jesus in resurrected bodies, and then all of death and Hades, Sheol, hell, will be cast, and they too will be cast into what, we, what uh, uh, Revelation calls the lake of fire forever. And so if that's like, whoa, you can, number one, I think that's chapter one or chapter two in our foundations book. You can go back and reference that if you need to. Okay? But also just remember that the psalmist really doesn't necessarily maybe have all these things in mind. I can't necessarily answer what the, what the Hebrew mind understood in terms of the afterlife. But as Jesus gives it to us now, essentially we have two paths. We have the way of the fool who are like sheep and death is their what? Their shepherd. And we have the path of those whom God will redeem. Ladies and gentlemen, the psalmist reminds us that God has power over Sheol. Do you see that? But God will redeem, verse 15, my soul from the power of Sheol. If he has power over the place of death, he certainly has power over death. And the psalmist says, and he will, what? Receive me. And so he says, do not be afraid when man becomes rich. It's a, really a synopsis here. When the glory of his house is increased, when he dies, he will carry away nothing. He is a, a sheep being shepherded by death. His glory will not descend after him. Though while he lives, he congratulates himself. And though men praise you when you do well for yourself, there's that, that particip participation award with all these accolades that at the end of the day will amount to nothing. It is a veneer of pride and of importance. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They will never see the light. In other words, once someone goes to that place in Sheol, they are on their way ultimately to the lake of fire. They will never see the light. And so, verse 20, man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beast that perishes. Now compare that to verse number 12. But man in his pomp will not endure. And that's interesting. That's critical. Because the psalmist isn't teaching annihilationism. He's not teaching that there is no worth to man's life and there's no uh, reason to, uh, uh, to have hope for when you die. No, in fact, he's saying, if you have the way of wisdom, verse 20, yet without understanding, if you know the way of wisdom, 
You will not be consumed with veneer-like pride. You will not be like the beast that perishes. You will be, verse 15, redeemed and received forever. And so we see that a humble wise man trusts in God to sustain his life forever. So take a moment, folks. I know that we ended maybe with a lot of Shoal and Hades and Lake of Fire and all these kind of things. But the point is this. What pathway are you on this morning? Are you on the path of the man in his pomp who has a veneer of pride but yet will crumble and will be shepherded as sheep to Shaol by death himself? Or are you on the way of wisdom? The way whom God will receive and redeem. And so as we uh, certainly embrace this text in a New Testament environment, we understand that we have an enduring treasure in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We have an enduring treasure with him. And we can put all of the wealth and all of the power onto the scales of life, as it were. And without Jesus Christ, all those things crumble and turn into dust. And the psalm wrestles with the fact that men all around us have these scales out and are amassing to themselves 401ks and houses and technology and yachts and mansions and corporate empires. And in these days of adversity, that which we see and can be intimidated by, we have to remember that there is another side to the scale. And when death comes crashing down, it will jerk all those things off. And that's really what verse 12 and verse 20 say, man in his pomp will not endure. Man in his pomp without understanding is like the beast that perishes. But a man who humbly trusts in God will see his life sustained forever. So as we turn the corner into 2021, as we look at the chaos of 2020, it is worth trusting in God to redeem your soul through the Lord Jesus Christ. So I just encourage you this morning, if you haven't ever done that, if, if you have really considered yourself this morning and, and maybe you never really thought that you were trusting in all these things and that ultimately the trust in these things in your life means that you're really trusting in yourself I'd encourage you this morning to really consider 
what the Bible says about someone who trusts in their own ability, in their own ingenuity, in their own intelligence. The Bible says you are a sheep and you are being shepherded by death. But the Bible says that there is a way of wisdom and wisdom fully embraces the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we would long to help you come to meet the person of wisdom, Jesus Christ. That all the Old Testament and all the New Testament looks to for salvation and redemption so that God will receive you and your soul forever. So Christian, you might be weary, you might be tired, you want me to sit down so you can get some food, but just take a moment, please, and let this be an encouragement to you today, not to be distracted with all the success and the buzz and the power of men. Because man in his pomp and his veneer-like pride will perish. Will perish. Father, this morning I pray that you would help us to take these truths and really consider them. Really help us to trust in the God who makes them true. In the God who sent his son to pay the price, the effectual price for our sins. And I pray that you would help each one in here who knows Jesus Christ to walk out today and to be confident in the fact that they are on the right path, the way of wisdom. And though sometimes emotions and situations can cloud and cause doubt, the path is worth pursuing. And in these days of adversity, there is yet a day to come. And in that morning, we will rule with you. And we look forward to that day. Keep us faithful until then. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.